1: it's still not taylor swift's fault i followed a long-standing tradition yesterday uh, and did not turn on the super bowl coverage until exactly 6 30 that's when they said kickoff was so any discussion about taylor swift and whether or not she was going to make it to the game or if she got a, a military escort to the stadium I did not fail to miss. I also took my dogs for a walk during halftime, so I did not fail to miss every second of Usher's show. I was interested in just, you know, watching the football game. Of course, there was no avoiding the Taylor Swift factor. They cut to her plenty of times during the telecast, especially after any time her friend Travis Kelsey did something. And she was not responsible for any of her appearances on television. The person responsible, as I've said before, For that was the uh, director or maybe the producer. doesn't matter how many times she's on. It's not her fault. I don't care if she has a relationship that lasts two weeks or 50 years with Travis Kelsey. The big problem with Taylor Swift is not Taylor Swift. It's Travis Kelsey. A little bit of him goes a long way. He appears to be somewhat of a moron or at least a a stereotype of a dumb football player. He's a Hall of Fame player. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't make him an entertaining personality or even an interesting person. At one point during the game last night, he was upset, and he went to his coach, Andy Reid, on the sideline and almost knocked him over. It wasn't a good look. Then he made an ass of himself during the postgame celebration. As someone pointed out on Twitter today, if someone like Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr. had done something similar to his coach during the game, we would have been hearing about how self-centered and immature he is. But Kelsey gets off for just being passionate and fiery. Might have something to do with him being white also. I'm actually uh, kind of hoping that Travis retires soon so that I can make plans to not listen to his inevitable podcast. And I really don't care at all what Taylor Swift does with the rest of her life. When we come back, uh, John Daniel Davidson will be here with all the good reasons for impeaching Joe Biden, including a really big one we don't hear enough about. And in our second half hour, we're going to speak to someone from the Black Leadership Network about the NFL's decision to have someone singing the quote-unquote black national anthem before the Super Bowl. Stick around. Anybody with a brain knows that Joe Biden shouldn't be president, and the reasons are obvious, even if you don't follow politics, if, if if you've never voted in your life. All you have to do is watch him when he ventures outside, but There are also plenty of political reasons. John Daniel Davidson, senior editor at The Federalist, pointed out a big one today that you don't hear about uh, too much, maybe not enough. He joins us now. John, thanks for coming on again. Always good to have you on.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. So
1: um, everybody knows about how corrupt uh, he and his family have been for years, but his collusion with Mexico uh, that you pointed out today seems to be under the radar. What's that all about?
2: Well, we're all familiar with the crisis at the border, and I think a lot of Americans maybe underestimate just how much of that crisis is an intentional choice by our leaders and by the Biden administration. Um, There is mounting evidence that the Biden administration has been colluding with uh, the Mexican state and corrupt elements within the Mexican state that have Uh, essentially uh, fused with the cartels that run the border and that the border invasion that's underway right now uh, is the result of this collusion between the Biden administration and Mexico Uh, and I can get into some of the details of that but but I think uh, just you know beginning to wrap our heads around that uh, is going to become very necessary as the border crisis gets worse and it becomes apparent that there's nothing the Biden administration is going to do to stop it,
1: yeah, how has that um, not gotten more attention Why is that do you think I think the reason it hasn't gotten more
2: attention is because it's hard to understand the border and, and it's taken me years and years uh, and many trips to the to the border reporting on it and and trips to Mexico to understand really what's going on. It's a complicated story it it goes back many years. Uh, into the history of Mexico and, and how the war on drugs inside Mexico uh, failed. And essentially it's a story of the Mexican political leadership giving up uh, in their war against the cartels and siding forces with the cartels uh, and uh, and monetize illegal immigration. And that's what we've seen over the last few years is that illegal immigration has become – just another source of revenue for the cartel state synthesis in Mexico. And what we're seeing now is that there's strong evidence that the Biden administration is doing the bidding of this cartel state synthesis because they don't want to make the hard political decisions that would be necessary to actually down the border and stop illegal immigration.
1: What is the evidence that the Biden administration is going along with it?
2: Well, we we see – I'll give you a couple of examples. Late last year, the Biden administration dispatched uh, the secretary of state, secretary of homeland security, and a senior uh, White House national security advisor to Mexico City. This was in the third week of December to meet with Mexican President Lopez Obrador and, and other high-ranking Mexican officials about the border. And the reason they were going is because, if you recall – in December, there were 300,000 arrests at the U.S.-Mexico border, more than had ever uh, happened in the history of since uh, since we started keeping track of illegal immigration. The crisis was reaching an outlandish point, and the Biden administration knew that it was going to become a problem for them in an election year. So they wanted Mexico's help, uh, and they were they went to Mexico City to try to get it. Days after that meeting lopez obrador which is popularly known as amlo in mexico uh, by his initials he came out and he said that they're willing to help publicly he said this they're willing to help with the border but they'd like 20 billion dollars and u.s policy to change toward venezuela and cuba which is sort of his pet causes because he's a leftist and he likes communist uh dictatorships apparently um shortly after this a major story, this is last month, broke in ProPublica outlining AMLO's connections to the Sinaloa cartel, which funded his political uh, ambitions in 2006, his presidential run, uh, and has since continued to support him. And there's, there's mountains of evidence showing since AMLO took office that he is still uh, working with the Sinaloa cartel. As soon as this happened, the Biden administration fell over itself to disavow the DEA sources that were cited in the ProPublica story uh, and say that there's nothing to it. They don't. Um, um, they consider it a closed matter uh, and, and that we're moving on. Uh, and just, you know, the, the, the timeline here of how this stuff goes down makes it very clear that the Biden administration feels as though they need AMLO's support to close down the border and they're willing essentially to bribe this corrupt government and the cartels that it works with in order to solve the border problem ahead of the election. Uh, and and short of that, short of that, they are not going to do anything about, about the border. They're just going to keep letting people in for their own domestic political reasons.
1: Now, it's... I just... I'm stunned that we even treat mexico as though it's a serious country um yeah it's it, I, I i i mean i don't know what the solution is that's that's not my job but just what you just described there and we're talking we're not talking about uh typical government corruption we're talking about cartels that uh sell human beings sell drugs that right. kill millions of people and the president of the com- of the country is is a partner of theirs, and why are we even i mean i don 't know what the solution is do you
2: well, the solution is to stop treating Mexico like a, a partner and a friend and yeah. start treating them like what they are, which is an antagonist and it 's not rocket science if you recall in the long ago of two thousand and nineteen when we had the last border crisis, which you know was uh, nothing compared to what we have now. President Trump was angry that these caravans were crossing into Mexico from Guatemala with the intention of marching up to the U.S. border in, in by the thousands. And he called AMLO, who had just taken office in December of 2018, and he said, if you don't stop these caravans, we're going to put a 10 percent tariff on everything coming into the United States from Mexico. Lo and behold, the caravans never made it to the U.S.-Mexico border. So... You have to treat Mexico with a stick, not with a carrot. They, they, uh, they respond to, uh, to strength uh, and to threats because they are a gangster government and they need to be treated like that. And until we, uh, you know, U.S. policymakers get it through their heads that you don't have a partner in Mexico, then we're going to continue on with this border crisis. It's going to get worse and worse because it makes the leaders of Mexico a lot of money. That's what it comes down to.
1: And the U.S., we, we just, uh, we're suckers for them. They, they just, uh, they, we're just a, um, a bag of money that they can empty out anytime they want. It's, it's, it's like a bank for them.
2: Yeah, exactly. I should say, too, that the U.S. political leadership has their own reasons for supporting mass illegal immigration. And every once in a while, they'll explain it to you, like Representative Jerry Nadler did last month when he said, we need illegal immigrants to pick our vegetables. So, you know, people in the managerial elite class and leadership class in in the United States, wealthy people like, you know, uh, leading Democrats and Republicans these are the leaders of both parties, they view illegal immigration as, as a kind of like slave or servant class that, uh, you know, picks their vegetables and watches their kids and tends their gardens. Uh, and and they would like that class to supplant the working class in the United States. Um, and, and they're very honest about this at times. And so you have to listen to what they're saying. It's a win-win for them, uh, but... The losers in this are ordinary Americans and especially the American middle class and the working class.
1: And how does this uh, so-called bipartisan border bill address this issue with Mexico? It doesn't. In
2: fact, hidden in the border bill was a, a, a about a about a 1.2 billion dollar bribe for the government of Mexico. And that's what this comes down to is bribing these governments to temporarily stem the flow of illegal immigration ahead of the election so that the Biden administration and the Biden campaign can say, oh, we've done something about illegal immigration. Look, the numbers are going down from December. Well, what they're trying to do is just temporarily pay off AMLO and his cartel cronies uh, so, so that it's not an election issue. But they have no real intention of solving the border crisis. Because solving the border crisis would mean they lose their source of cheap labor uh, and they have to make politically difficult decisions uh, like like deportation and deterrent policies on the border, sending people back to their own countries. And they don't want to do that.
1: Well, uh, I can remember in the days when we had a president who wasn't almost drooling on himself. He was so uh, demented that in a situation like this, you would have a strong president. Would show up on the border and maybe even show up with the president of Mexico, and just start making some hard demands. That doesn't doesn't exist anymore.
2: No, that's right. I mean, there was a time when we had a little bit more sober and serious attitudes about immigration. Now you're considered a racist uh, and a uh, you know and a jingoist if you say a word against immigration legal or illegal you can't even you can't even oppose illegal immigration anymore mm-hmm. no without being accused of being a racist by the left but the truth is immigration to this country should serve the interest of one group of people the american citizen that is the only people whose interest should matter when it comes to immigration in this country that's how every other country in the world is we are the exception our leaders don't care about the interests of the ordinary American citizen. They care about their own interests and the interests of their class. And that's why we have an immigration system uh, that is so broken and so fundamentally against the American interest.
1: Now, uh, the Mexico angle uh, may be harder to prove uh, to, for as far as being uh, uh, a reason for impeachment, but what could possibly explain... What's taking so long with the, uh, with the corruption and Biden's onset dementia? What, what, uh, what's taking the Republicans so long? What are they waiting for?
2: Well, the, the Republicans aren't known for their courage no, uh, and, and stick-to-itiveness when it comes to playing political hardball. Right. No, this is just sort of um, cowardice on the part of Republicans and complicity. I would say you, know, you see it in the Senate, the Senate GOP leadership, is pretty much on the same page as the Democrats when it comes to major policy issues. They have no interest in impeaching Biden or, or getting to the bottom of, uh, of his family's corruption. Um, and and they're willing to, you know, you, you can see in this whole border bill fiasco last week how much they prioritize the border. They come up with sort of a, a nonsense border bill as a thick leaf for the Ukraine funding. And as soon as the border bill blows up in everybody's faces, they turn around, you know, days later and pass a Ukraine funding bill. That's what they really care about. They don't care about the border, and so that—I mean—that's that's why things are taking so long. Things are taking so long because the Republicans in power in Washington don't really care about Biden's corruption, and they don't really care about illegal immigration. Um, they don't care about a lot of things that Americans care about. Actually,
1: does that explain to you um, why they dislike Donald Trump so much? Because he claims to yeah, actually I- care about people, and he knows. What they know, and he knows what's going on down there?
2: Well, and his policies benefited ordinary Americans a lot more than the policies of the permanent regime in Washington. That's a big reason why they hated him, is because he he had the opposite view on a whole host of policy things, not least of which was the border. If you think back to 2016, Trump's campaign was based on putting a stop to illegal immigration even though it was impolite to do so and Mm -hmm. impolite to say that illegal immigration is a problem. Um, You know, that, that, that that was really the outrage uh, for our leadership class was that Trump was on the other side. He was sort of a traitor to his own class because the things that he was saying were things that a lot of ordinary people thought or, uh, and didn't feel like they could say out loud. um, And certainly were the sorts of things that nobody in Washington, says out loud, like the Iraq war was a mistake. If Trump hadn't come out during the GOP primary debates and made an issue out of the Iraq war, none of those other candidates on the stage wanted to litigate the wisdom of the Iraq war. But Trump brought it up because Jeb Bush was on the stage, and you could see how uncomfortable it made them all, because they didn't want to say what 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 everybody else in America knows, which was that the Iraq war was a mistake.
1: yeah. So well, I think that
2: has a lot to do with it.
1: Yeah, I have about a minute and a half left here with uh, John Daniel Davidson, senior editor at The Federalist. Um, when you were describing uh, what's going on in Mexico and what our situation with them, that kind of reminded me of Ukraine. Is am I wrong? The description of uh, Mexico isn't that far off from what might be the description for Ukraine.
2: Yeah, co- cooperating with it with a corrupt. Cartel government. Yeah, Yeah. there 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 are are a lot of similarities there, and I think it's it's time that Americans start to wrap their head around the fact that our political leadership, uh, you know, are not acting in good faith in 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 these foreign adventures, whether it's funding Ukraine or uh, funding the Mexican regime, the cartel regime in Mexico. Uh, we have to understand that they don't have our best interests at heart. They're willing to work with corrupt foreign governments to advance their own interests at the expense of the American people. Uh, and, and once you see it, uh, you, you begin to understand how pervasive it is. But, but that, is, that is bottom line what is happening on the border. An open border is good for our political leadership – and it's good for the political leadership in Mexico, the corrupt political leadership in Mexico.
1: Pretty ugly. John, great piece today at Federalist.com. Always glad to have you on the show. Thank you.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Okay, that's John Daniel Davidson, senior editor at The Federalists, and I'll be right back. Well, I messed up a little bit yesterday. My goal is always, uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl, to wait until the kicker's foot for the opening kickoff is a few inches away from the ball before tuning into the game. I was a little early, and I caught Reba McIntyre singing the national anthem, and she killed it, by the way. But I did miss the other national anthem, and there's some controversy around that one. Melanie Collette is a commentator with Project 21 Black Leadership Network, and she joins us now. Melanie, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me. I so, appreciate it.
1: So the song that I missed, of course, was Lift Every Voice and Sing, often referred to as the uh, the Black National Anthem, was having that song performed a good idea by the NFL yesterday.
3: Oh, gosh. You know, I can't say whether it was a good idea or, or a bad idea. Many people um, happen to really revere and, and love that song, and uh, particularly those who uh, understand the spirit uh with which the song was created uh, i was just having this this uh p- conversation actually with friends of mine uh, who who ideologically think like me uh are 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 black and, and in the conservative space most certainly and there's quite a bit of debate about it one of the things that i suggested is maybe we don't call it the black national anthem anymore after all that that really is a nickname the song. The name of the song is "Lift Every Voice and Sing." It's a song of unification, um, written as a gift to uh, President Abraham Lincoln for his birthday, and uh, in, in the year 1900. So it was meant to be a unifying song, but I think that you know people on the left like to use it as a divisive song. Hence, the um, you know the nickname, the Black National Anthem. It suggests, which I don't like, that black people don't belong to America or have some kind of beef or, you know, issue with being American. Um, And I don't, I don't think that that is a good thing. And, um, you know, as long as it doesn't replace our American national national anthem, I don't have a fundamental issue with the NFL playing it in and of itself.
1: So you'd be okay with just uh, playing it the same way they play um, America, the beautiful.
3: No, I think I just said the opposite. That as long as, I thought I just said the opposite. No, as long as it doesn't replace our national anthem, America and the Beautiful, no. But I don't have a problem with them playing it in addition to, because some people very much, you know, do revere it. It, It's a a historical uh, kind of song, and it has importance, you know, to some people. But I do think we should just call it Lift Every Voice and Sing instead of the Black National Anthem, because like I said, I think that is, yeah um divisive and that's really not what it is and not every black person um views it as our national anthem as opposed to the american national anthem
1: yeah um uh, back when we were going through the the colin kaepernick stuff and and uh different players in different sports were kneeling i got to the point where i said you know and you talk about it being divisive whether it's um Lift Every Voice and Sing, whether you call it the Black National Anthem or whether you play the uh, Star-Spangled Banner, If the, the whole idea of playing the Star-Spangled Banner is for unity, is for everybody to stand and for whatever long it takes to sing the song, less than two minutes, everybody realizes we have a lot of differences, but the one difference we have is we, we kind of like the country we live in. Uh, right, right. And,
3: well, I don't think, I think that the, if you listen to the lyrics to Lift Every Voice and Sing, I don't think the lyrics, like, um, uh, how can I put it? Uh, say, I was going to use the word diss, but I wanted to be a little more professional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I don't think, I don't think that the the lyrics to Lift Every Voice and Sing, you know, diss. Uh, America or or Uh. the Star Spangled Banner or competes with the Star Spangled Banner. I think it is in addition to and and marks a very important place in history for, you know, many, many black folks. So I I don't have a problem with them playing it in addition to and I don't think it ever should replace our national anthem or be an either or type of thing, but I don't have a problem with it being included. There are people who like that. And listen, the NFL, it, it strives to please everyone, right? They're in a tough spot. So, you know, if, if their point was to be woke and super divisive, I think as uh, um, my fellow ambassador, Donna Jackson said, they, they missed the mark, um, because it really can be a unifying thing, but only um, I think both, both both sides need, need to stop it. I think the side of people to say that black people should only have this as Lift Every Voice and Sing as a national anthem, they should stop it. And I think the people who are triggered by the singing of Lift Every Voice and Sing should also stop it. I think everybody should chill. If you don't like the <laughs> song, don't listen to the song. Yeah. It really, really comes down to that simple in my eyes. But to, to to literally have a complaint or a problem with Lift Every Voice and Sing um being played, especially among conservatives, I don't know if it's because they are not aware of the origin of the song, why they would have an issue with it, mm-hmm. um, being played in addition to our national anthem. I don't know. I mean, we play other countries, you know, anth- anthems when two teams are playing. Yeah,
1: Canadian, you know, we, yeah. we,
3: do, we do that, like out of an honor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see this as any different, but I don't think, of course, that it should ever you know, replace our national anthem, and I think we should stop calling it the black national yeah, anthem. Yeah, and, and when to I put said... Put that out here, yeah. out there. That's not the name of the song. Never has been the name of the song. Woke mm-hmm. leftist this nickname that song that. It's not that, though. Yeah, when I said <laughs> a minute ago
1: about uh, America the Beautiful, I didn't mean uh, replacing it I, in addition to. Uh, the, the, yesterday, sure. I, I, America the Beautiful was actually sung yesterday, um before the national anthem so they had three songs uh and
3: and nothing wrong with that to me
1: yeah no no no.
3: (laughs) it's america the more the more the merrier
1: but here's the here's what and i don't i didn't as i said and i don't i don't even i i have become and i'm a guy who covered sports for 40 years so i i know all about you know i've covered super bowls and everything um I, as I said, I go out of my way. I just think it's so overdone, so over the top, just so, just too much of everything that I've gotten to the point where I just want to see the ball in the air on the opening kickoff. That's what I'm hoping when I turn my TV on.
3: I really feel like that probably is a unifying message right there. Just watch football.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, but the reason. (laughs) Yeah, but the reason I say that is what I I didn't see yesterday uh, with the Lift Every Voice and Sing. I don't know if they ask people to stand and uh, honor the song the same way they do the Star-Spangled Banner. And that, and because there's there's some controversy now about people who didn't stand. And as the, the act of telling people to stand in honor of this song, is that just asking for trouble?
3: I think that is asking for trouble. I mean, I I don't, uh, uh, listen, it's America. I don't know that you should have to tell people to stand for our national anthem. I think everybody knows you're supposed to stand for our national anthem. Um, And not necessarily for Lift Every Voice and Sing because it is not our national anthem. Now, could you argue if you wanted, if you really have no life and have (laughs) nothing else on earth to argue about? Could you make the argument that it's disrespectful not to stand mm-hmm. during "List Every Voice" and sing? I mean, you could if you wanted to, but why?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and then what if you had a scene of all the white people were sitting and the black people were standing? Maybe that—you know—I don't know if that is that what they're looking for. That would be a
3: well. Let's hope that that's not yeah. what they're looking for because that's certainly the opposite. That's right. um, a spirit in which the song was created. Yeah. So I, I would hope that that would not. Happen and I just wish we would get away from you know this, this era that we're in where we're taking notes as to who respects what and mm-hmm. judging how respect like we we just should, should stop it. We we have some very very important things uh that we need to be concerning ourselves with and this just is not one not of them. Right. We're,
1: we're talking to <laughs> Melanie Collette, uh, she's with Black Leadership Network Project 21. Um, So here's the thing that's interesting to me. It's now 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years. Uh, Barack Obama, he made his entrance um, onto the national stage back in 2004, and it was the first step toward him becoming the first uh, black president. And it was because of the speech he gave at the Democratic uh, National Convention. And what he said was, there's not a black America and white America and Latino America and Asian America there's the United States of America. We are one people, pledging the allegiance to the stars and stripes. So um, uh, this guy well, was he had his
3: fingers crossed, though, because he certainly didn't. Um, <laughs> he certainly did not run his administration at of mine.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. What what <laughs> how has the, how have things changed since he expressed that sentiment in 2004, and here we are, 20 years later. And people are arguing about whether there's a there is a black national anthem and whether it should be played at a super Bowl
3: well, let's be crystal clear that that was complete buffoonery and absolute d s if I might yeah uh, what, what Barack Obama was saying he did not believe one word of it, and it was pretty clear uh by the way he governed when he was in office um you know he he uh, in my opinion took every divisive when it came to race that he possibly could He had a huge opportunity To follow what he said in that speech And unify the country And he did everything but And so I think again You know when we are looking at uh, Lift every voice and sing And referring to it as the black national anthem That it really is just the way To divide right. us and that, and that is a bad thing Do I think that it has a space Certainly it does um, but not in a space where it replaces our national anthem. Well,
1: uh, would it be um, fair to say or accurate to say that um, racial relations, um, the race relations have been set back since Barack Obama was the first black
3: president? I would say so. And you know, people who don't understand how to reason and critically think, would uh, would say that, well, you know what, that's because we had a black president. That's why it, things became so divisive. No, it's because we had a president who was a very divisive who happened to be black and used the fact that he was black to be very divisive and divide the country.
1: Yeah, I got in trouble with uh, – actually, uh, um, are you familiar with Jason Whitlock? Sure. Uh, he's one of my favorites. He blocked me on Twitter about 10 years ago what? because <laughs> – because I I was in a, actually going back and forth with him a little bit, and I said it would be better for America if the first black president were a conservative.
3: Well, it would be, and but here's the thing: I will say this. Um, it, it it was my experience, particularly um, during the Obama era, that especially especially the first his first term mm-hmm. and while he was running that. A lot of black folks were really in their in their feelings, staunch conservatives, Republicans, all these different, you know, um, people who are on the right that were black were really, really got emotional in their feelings about having the first black president. And quite honestly, in my estimation, lost themselves a little bit. Not me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, let me ask you, did you vote for
3: him? Absolutely not. But I do know, never voted for him, not once or the second time. Um, But I I do know many very conservative blacks that absolutely did vote for him the first time. Then, you know, I think that his first term woke them up, (laughs) Uh and they got back on track, you know, after the second uh, election.
1: What's going to happen in November?
3: Oh, man. (laughs) I know oh, no, that's man.
1: that's a that's a that's not an easy question, but um it's not
3: th- an easy question. Listen, I, I I don't have a dog in a fight right now mm-hmm. because I hold leadership uh positions in many organizations, so I can't really, you know,
1: yeah. pick
3: a pick a side, if you will. I don't know what uh is going to happen. Uh, but I, I could say this it's very scary out here what's going on. Not just because you know President Biden seems to be declining very rapidly and his team seems to be in denial about it, and that is dang- very dangerous uh, for our country. But I would also argue that whoever um, they decide to replace him with will also be a danger and detriment to our country, and God forbid. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Kamala Harris becomes president. Yeah, <laughs> <So I> just, <laughs> yeah well, you know, God help, God help us. It is, I don't know.
1: Do you get the feeling that there uh, that there is any kind of a movement among Black voters, especially men? There's been a lot of talk about Black men moving toward Trump. Do you, do you think uh,
3: I, there are? I, I would say that there certainly are uh, Blacks in general that mm-hmm. are that are moving. Uh, to the right, whether it's Trump or not, I, I think Trump is, is just such a, um, you know, such a huge figure. And he says, you know, says things that he says. Yeah, and gets attention. And he stays yeah. sucking up media air. So right. I think, you know, that's all kind of people know on the right at that point, especially, especially black folks, because Trump has been around for so long. Um, but I do think that there's a movement, I, I think particularly with the immigration, uh, situation being what it is. And, I, you know, I, I've said for years uh, as a former educator that, you know, this, this immigration problem that we're having is going to disproportionately affect black and brown people in poor socioeconomic situations, because that is exactly where rich liberal elites like to put people who are uh, marginalized. They like to put them all in one category, put them all in one area, and a negative impact is in black and brown communities as you would expect, and okay. so I think that now that they're seeing it, and there's such a strong contrast, they're seeing like, wow, these people really don't care about us. They're putting they're putting you know all these people in our schools that don't speak English, slowing down our kids' education. You know, they're putting them in our neighborhoods and in our rec centers, taking things away from our children. So I think they're seeing it now, and it's so obvious, it smacks you in the face. to me, it's been obvious for a long time.
1: Yes, (laughs) obviously. Hey, hey, Melanie, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Okay, that's Melanie Collette with uh, Black Leadership Network, Project 21. I'll be right back. Oh, we just had a segment uh, talking about the, quote, unquote, Black National Anthem. And uh, that's kind of a sports story because that's when – National anthems are played, and there's been some controversy, uh, at least some a lot of discussion uh, about the fact that the NFL decided to have that song played yesterday and uh, I thought uh, Melanie Collette made a great point. It's pretty simple really, pretty obvious um that all you got to do is just not call it the black national anthem, have someone come out and sing the song. How about maybe even having a white person come out and sing it and just don't mention, don't, don't worry, but just like you can have a black person sing, uh, the Star Spangled Banner, just have somebody sing the song. Fine. Um, but I, one thing I, I, I don't know if I've talked about it here much. I think most people know that I did sports here in town for a long time. I have a lot of friends and had a lot of friends in the sports media and many of them, if not most of them, um, Block me on Twitter or don't follow me on Twitter because of my politics. Now, I also think that it's because of the fact that they just don't want to be bothered by politics. And I spend a lot of time on my Twitter where you can – it's X, I know, it's X. You can find me at Steiger World, but at Steiger World, um, you. it's because they just don't – they want to look at – they want to – be entertained with sports and they don't want to hear about my politics, that's fine. I'm doing this kind of a show here, so I feel like I should talk about it. Anyway, Bob Costas, super talented guy, um, on Bill Maher the other night, and this is all you need to know about most of the people I know in the sports media think exactly the way this guy does.
4: The MAGA cult, which is a coalition of the brainless and when it comes to fellow Republicans the spineless, that, that coalition is not going away. They want, for the time being, Trump. If Biden stepped aside tomorrow, there wouldn't be a bunch of Democratic voters going, oh, please, please stop. Your friend Gavin Newsom, Gavin Newsom, who's a very, you know, charismatic and dynamic guy, but he's being disingenuous when he makes an <laughs> articulate case for Biden, and then says, I just don't understand why this hasn't landed. Yes, you do, Gavin, because Biden can't utter one sentence of the five perfect paragraphs you just put together. He he not only can't make, not only can he not make the case for himself, he cannot prosecute, in the court of public opinion, the case against Trump. And what needs to happen here isn't a narrow victory, which is the best Biden can hope for, Trump and what he represents must be repudiated. Not conservatism or republicanism. MAGA must be repudiated. And Biden ain't the man for that job.
1: And Bob Costas doesn't know the difference between MAGA and republicanism and conservatism. He's just a typical New York rich, white liberal. And he knows just enough to be dangerous. And I can't even begin to tell you how well populated the national, and for that matter, local sports media is with people like Bob Costas. I'll talk to you tomorrow.